0: The truck! You are
3: listening to What
0: the
4: Truck!
3: Are you ready to truck it? Welcome to your Nooner with Dooner. Welcome, Swifties. I'm in a good mood. I'm in a, I'm in a good mood. Since, like, middle of June, since before, like, the future of supply chain, this show has been so much about... Yellow, constant yellow news, 30,000 people losing their jobs, Teamsters losing their jobs, a bad freight market, the bloodbath. It has been so terrible. And then Taylor Swift came like a beacon in the night. This story came out yesterday that Taylor Swift gave 100,000 bonuses for errors Tour truckers. And I'll tell you something. When I first saw this story, it was in TMZ. I was like, I don't know. Is this a media-planted story like Barbie making the world run out of pink? Total BS, but you know, you people on Sinclair Broadcasting will read whatever they put in front of you. So I went and I'm like, hey, I know the guy who runs this tour. So I reached out to him and I'm like, hey, Mike. What's going on with this thing? There's all these Taylor Swift fans. They're yelling online. They're saying, is this happening? They got trolls telling them that Taylor would never do such a thing. I'm a little skeptical myself. And he goes, no, she did. She put it out there. I put this tweet out there. Take a look at this. The the Swifties have been in there. There's a few tweets, but there's like millions of Swifties in my mentions right now. Like I said, welcome, guys. I'm glad that I am like suddenly a... uh, an influencer now in the in the Taylor Swift space i never thought i would become one but maybe i got to rebrand but here's what mike had to say he um he finally put that out on social media too after being confirmed he said when scott swift called the the show motion llc steel stage drivers in for a meeting this was the last thing they would expect thank you words cannot express our gratitude for your appreciation recognition and generosity um Really cool, and here's the thing, here's to put a little context for you. One of the reasons I thought this number might be inflated, or maybe it was just 100,000 for the whole team, instead of 100,000 for each, is I know tour truck drivers. And I've asked them about their own bonuses before, and they tell me they almost never get any bonus. They're lucky. Like, they said, one guy said the best he ever got was 2,000. Another said the best he ever got was 5,000. I asked Mike, who runs Show Motion, I said, do artists usually give out these big bonuses? unheard of but maybe she set a new president these Beyonce tour truckers who are out on the road right now they're looking at that hundred thousand dollars like what am I getting next now, granted, Taylor Swift, $1.4 billion tour, right? Super, super successful. So it's great to see everyone sharing the W. Not every tour does as well, but it would be great if this trickled down to other drivers that are out there. It's a hard gig for those of you that don't know. A tour like Eras has been on the road for 24 weeks before they ship off International. All these drivers are away from family the whole time. They're driving back and forth, making that show happen, making sure Taylor has all her, her dresses and the, the gaffing and the rigging. Speaking of, I heard the, the gaffers and the riggers they all got their bonuses too really really cool so i asked the driver community though right like this must cause a flood of drivers to now want to drive with show motion so i put a poll out there aspirational job in trucking what's the best one if you had to drive for a company what would your dream job be i had tour trucker walmart driver secret government loads and other and uh tour trucker won but secret government loads were, were like way up there a lot of conspiracy theorists and trucking, maybe. I don't know. They want to pull the aliens and have, like, direct knowledge of it. Justin was uh, one of those secret government load truckers, but interviewing him about it sucks because he's under an NDA. It's the bad thing. You can pull all that cool stuff, but you can't talk to anybody. Well, speaking of that Taylor Swift tour, they're on the road again. So congratulations, Taylor. Roll this tape. They're headed off to SoFi Stadium. Then they go to Hollywood Park. That's a show motion truck rolling out right now. And then they'll go on their next leg in Mexico City, which, if I understand correctly, I think is a different crew. I'm not 100 percent sure. Now, you might be wondering, where's Rachel Premack? It's Wednesday. Rachel Premack is crazy. She went out to Anchorage, Alaska alone. Rachel Premack, if you haven't met her in person, she's like five foot two, 105 pounds at most. I don't think she carries mace. I don't think she's got bear spray. I don't think she's trained in hand-to-hand combat. I don't think she goes to the school of Andrew Tate, but it didn't matter to her because she's got a good positive spirit. She went down to Anchorage, Alaska and sent us this tape back.
1: Hey guys, it's Rachel. Hi Junior, hi what the truck? hi. Freight Waves, hi everyone. I am in Coldfoot, Alaska, at the world's most northern truck stop. We are driving from, we started at Fairbanks at 8 a.m. this morning. It's about 3 p.m. now, and we are headed to Prudhoe Bay, delivering a bunch of pipe. I'm doing a ride along with Sourdough, who, are they in the background there? Yeah, it's that that red truck. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, I'll be here till Saturday morning, but my rylong ends tomorrow. So I'll tell you guys all about it when I'm on the show next week. Bye.
3: Now, Rachel, Andrew Teal, he just texted me on purpose like Hulk Hogan ended up on TMZ. No, I think maybe to talk about Taylor Swift. Now that I'm like this Swifty influencer, Taylor. By the way, one more little good news before we get up there. And you guys can't see this because this just came through on a text. But this is my buddy Larry Long. He just, can you guys zoom in? Maybe you can't zoom in, but he just texted me this. He said, Yellow Driver hired today... Starting tomorrow evening. Love to see it. Let me know the wins that you're putting some of these drivers in. On the show today, we got an awesome one. I got Ross Kennedy. He's here with me. He's going to rant about Inco terms like Ric Flair. I hope he's got a razor blade so we get some blood flowing. I need a crimson mask. Uh, We got the yellow fallout, we got food rejects, we got drunk truckers and LK99. Wow, that's a lot. We got Ty's Walter Mitchell, he wants brokers to own who they really are. He's sick of you saying that, you're like freight tech enabled when you're just a regular brokerage. And he's going to rant on it. He's brave enough, so I'm glad he's coming on here. Freight Wave's tearing to heart. He's going to break down the market. We haven't done one in a bit. We got to, because there's action in spot rates, there's action in fuel, there's action in truck prices, and there's action in volumes. And also... There's some news we got to get to about um, yellow and LTL disruptions. I know uh, a lot of you who didn't plan well are facing those. And I don't feel bad for you. I'm going to say it. I don't feel bad at all. We warned you. It's not my fault you're not a What the Truck listener. Plus, a Japanese man turns into a dog, an ankle bracelet for your toddler, collapsing containers, and wild boars attack. So let's tip the band, and then we'll get over to Ross. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global logistics powerhouse. Today, AIT is customizing supply chain solutions for multinational Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating tailored plans that fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from the logistics pros at AITWorldwide.com. All right, and now, the man of the hour. It's Ross Kennedy. Ross, what's up, brother?
0: Where are you hanging out today? I'm just hanging out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a lovely day. Uh, you can't tell because the glare from my head is uh, reflecting off the window here. Uh, Reed was not nice to you know nice enough to send me a free hat, so I'm gonna use my please advise sticker. Yeah, uh, to, you know we, we got I gotta have one, and uh, he hasn't sent it yet. I'm sure you have yours though.
3: No, I don't. I had to make my own too. I was wearing it during the ice bucket challenge. I kind of went with his original design, which is just to put a post it on a hat. You went with the head. You didn't even go with a hat.
0: I just, you know what? At this point, it's cooler to not have a hat on, so.
3: It might. That's what I told him. I was like, you know what? I looked at my closet, Reed. I got 65 hats. My wife is. Uh, my wife says I got too many to begin with. Taylor, you know, we've been dying for, a, like, a win in freight. Just something that we can go, hey, oh, yeah. like, there's something positive. The Taylor Swift news came out. Let's start there. What do you think about that? What do you think about this $100,000 bonus for tour truckers?
0: I mean, I love it. It's, it's, for me, this is sort of a precedent-setting move in the same way Keanu giving away huge parts of his uh, you know his his shares in the Matrix, you know, way back in 1999, to the stuntmen, and and really created more of I, I think a culture of appreciation and uh, not charity because certainly the stuntmen, you know, and the Matrix worked for that, and Keanu recognized that, and the drivers and the crew that made you know the Taylor Swift tour this monstrous, just record shattering tour happen, uh, which they're still in the middle of, and and they're, you know, like you said, they're gone from their families and. So that that appreciation being shown by her, by her team for, you know, the sort of the faceless logistics guys, if you will, that make these things happen. Uh, the, the only good can come from that. And I really do hope that uh, in the same way, sort of the men thing became part of the deal for action movies for a lot of these guys that this type of thing becomes precedent as well, because those guys worked so hard and and really uh, amazing. Uh, from a PR standpoint, from an industry standpoint, uh, for those guys to get that recognition from her and her team. It's it's a big deal. I'm really happy to see it.
3: A-F-ing men. You know, when you think of, like, Taylor Swift fans, not only is there a lot of them, there's There's millions of them, I I see them in my mentions. But that's a world that probably does not get exposed to trucking that often, especially a positive trucking story. Usually when a trucking story goes mainstream and it's picked up by sites like TMZ, it's because of a massive supply chain disruption or some kind of political strike or something like that. And here's a good one, and I think that we should all celebrate that. And you cynics out there who say she should have gave more, you're out of your mind. You cynics out there who are trying to make, like blow out someone's candle here on this one, you're out of your mind. It's a story the industry needed this week, especially in light of yellow. Because this is what I'm talking about here. Roll this tape and listen to the sound of this man's
0: voice. Standing on a dock at YRC Deer Park. It's Friday. Almost all the employees
1: have been let go. Just cleaning up the system. Started here 45 years ago. Loading these trucks. Driving them. Sad day
0: here for myself who represents the workers here. All the workers who
1: are never going to be able to Finish out their careers it was good to me.
3: Update sad man it's a sad end to this they just cleared out yellow logistics yesterday there was a comment from it's interesting because people have been so confused it's been a mess in that house they've been misdirecting and lying to people like they're chris angel pulling a magic trick on these people who are just trying to figure out their next move is one comment here christina Jenkins said i was terminated friday this is old news and then maria hagman says this was yellow logistics not yellow yellow was told repeatedly that we were business as usual as we were an independent subsidiary of yellow today we were let go without
0: notice Yeah, this is a, it's a complex story, right? If you want to zoom all the way out to, to the 30,000 foot view, there, there's a lesson there about uh, the nature of mergers and acquisitions and, and and really the state of the U.S. economy and, and consolidation into oligopolies within, certainly within the freight industry, same as the airline industry, same as the you know maritime industry, same as rail. Uh, there is a story to be told there. There's a lot of these companies that over the last 30, 40, 50 years had to come together to become what ultimately was sort of this yellow behemoth that has now collapsed. You've got 30,000 people um, that, that now are looking for work. You've got a union in the Teamsters that is going to see a pretty dramatic impact to them, I think, uh, reputationally, as well as what do, you know, what do the union guys do? How many jobs are available for them to where they can maintain uh, union status and, and the benefits and you know, that they derive from that? There's the story downstream of all of the, you know, the, the, the vendors and the impact to customers that utilize yellow services that, you know, are the other carriers in the industry going to be able to absorb that volume without capacity and rates beginning to crush other shippers. So that there's this, you know, the ripple effect is the, you know, the tail on this is going to spread for years. Uh, you can't have the largest bankruptcy in trucking industry history, uh, and not have an enormous impact. Um, you know, some good, you know, some bad though. And that, those are the stories that I hope that we, you know, kind of continue to focus on, you know, as, as the ground level impact, the lessons learned, how can we avoid these things? Because I fear that from a national media side, it's gonna be a lot of, you know, hand-waving and, and politicizing the issue and kind of forgetting that there's 30,000 people, uh, you know, directly impacted and indirectly millions. That it's um, it's tough at the end of the day, uh, you know these things do kind of shake out but there's a long painful process in between.
3: If you've been watching the Yale ticker, this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a dumbass with the podcast looking at a ticker. But um, the past this was like 69 cents a week ago. It was about 455 at a high point yesterday. it's at 258 right now. It, my advice to read, this is not advice. My opinion on retail is stay the hell away from this stock. You're going to lose your ass. They're getting, It's getting rug pulled every night. There's sharks out there that want to eat you pigs. I realize this company may be worth dead, more dead than alive with their assets, but like, guys, be careful. Some going to lose money here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, in, in general, uh, any, any companies I consult to or work with, um, you know, typically yellow is not always first on the on the list of you know LTL carriers, and you know ideally shipping LTL isn't you know the way to go, but it is the easy button for an awful lot of people. Just just to have a truck show up, I can throw my one or two pallets on, and uh, away it goes. Uh, but there's a lot of company that have a really high density of freight volume. Uh, if they just got a little bit more creative, they could do some really interesting things. Uh, and I think it would you know creative solutions, good partnerships will overcome this for a lot of companies, but. There are a lot of companies that are going to be really dead in the water for six to 12 months until they figure out how to adjust their shipping model and customer expectations downstream of that
3: Ross, I always joke one way to confuse um, <laughs> one way to confuse customs brokers and freight brokers is to talk about tariffs in the same room with them. You and I both come from the global trade world, and we use similar terminology, but we're talking about completely different things when we talk about these. So I put a poll out about, do you know what Inco terms are? And I got to say, I wasn't too surprised. Do we have the poll? I wasn't too surprised by these results. Not, 52.1% said no of my audience. I got a very big transportation audience. But as you and I also both know, working inside big companies, big 3PLs, global or inland, most people within a company, they don't know what the person next to them is doing. And if you're not interacting with incoterms, you might not know. But if you're a shipper, as someone who's sold freight to shippers, if you don't know what incoterms are, you don't even know what day
0: one is. Yeah, that's the uh, that, that's one of the things that any any time I, I really sit down with a, a client for the first time, or uh, you know, even analyzing someone's supply chain that has an international component, because domestic's pretty simple. You know, you have sort of an FOB and delivered kind of type of deal. You've got some other stuff in between, but when you're talking about international, you know, Incoterms are one of the very few international standards that every single person transacting business internationally uh, must abide by right, if they want to be protected. And so fundamentally what an eco term is, is it spells out when uh, a shipper and a, a consignee uh, or a receiver, you know, in an easy term, but the legal recipient of the cargo, at what point does title and risk uh, ownership of that? I was going to tell you to get that chart up. It's a great chart. You can see there's like, you know, what, 12, I think, eco terms now or 11, they've standardized some. There's been a lot of different ones over the years, but fundamentally it's, it's who pays for what, when does it become legally theirs under international terms? And what is their limits of risk if something happens to the cargo at a certain point in its you know, life cycle or in its transit from there to here or here to there? So X-Works, you know, not super common, but, but still done. Uh, you know, that essentially means that on an international side is that I, as the, as the importer, let's say, I'm buying something i'm paying the lowest price possible but then i'm paying for every single thing and i'm controlling and responsible for every single thing from getting a let's say it's a container getting a container to that factory somewhere in india or china or indonesia wherever it may be and getting the goods loaded on that that's my cost my responsibility for my team and i control it all the way to wherever the destination is fob is probably your most common on an import side and what fob is is essentially is that the the shipper is responsible for the cost and the management primarily of everything involved to getting that container or getting the goods to an airport or to an ocean port but once it's on the plane once it is um you know on the ocean ship then at that point it becomes you know the cost and responsibility uh, of the importer you also see sif in there as well um that's really common uh, for a lot of smaller companies where maybe a bigger supplier has good freight contracts or good rates or whatever it may be, and they'll, they'll pay for and control everything right up until the product unloads at a named destination. It could be a port like Los Angeles or Tacoma. It could be an inland location like Chicago or Kansas City or Memphis. But anyway, if it's a SIF, you know, whatever that location is, and then at that point, the freight's released when it arrives to that supplier or excuse me, to the importer. And they have to do that, and then you have uh, DDP as well, you know, delivered duty paid, or sometimes you see DAP, delivered at place. That means that the supplier is paying for everything associated with the transaction, including all the freight, the shipping. They control all of that, and they deliver it somewhere where it's just going to get picked up, ready to go big difference with DDP and then DAP, delivered duty paid, I mean, it's it's customs cleared and then it has been paid. The duties and tariffs, whatever may be associated with that, have already been paid uh, by the supplier or someone in their network before uh, title passes. Or um, in DAP, everything freight-wise is paid, but the importer of record is still who files uh, the customs entry and pays the duties and the tariffs whatsoever uh, with customs. So um, using an example, under a, a situation where, uh, let's say it's a product and a shipper that has a high risk uh, of product being detained under uh, the Weaker Force Labor Prevention Act. Maybe the company has a, a factory in Xinjiang, China, uh, and there's a high risk. On a DDP transaction, the factory, the supplier, the shipper is paying and all the risk. And so if that's detained by U.S. Customs and held under UFLPA investigation, the importer's not at any risk. They might be out the money of the product, worst case scenario, but they'll still end up getting a refund, but they incur no risk. But if it's an FOB transaction and it comes into the U.S. and the entry's filed, it gets detained by or it's an FDA shipment that gets detained by the Food and Drug Administration for whatever reason, that cost and that risk is on the importer of record. So not knowing your Incoterms, not knowing them at a really granular level is a major 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 risk and frankly it's 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 the type of thing that a lot of companies don't do very well but it's one of those details that really there's a joke in the in the freight forwarding industry and the import side where you say you date your freight forwarder but you marry your customs broker and you do it for that reason because the good ones will really protect you not only from risk and from the u.s government but they'll protect you from yourself Um, and also once you know incoterms you can extrapolate a lot of valuable information at the risk of stomping on time here, one of the interesting things is, is that we, we collectively, some group of people within the United States and within the global trading industry knew something was up with Russia uh, about four months before they started massing troops on the border of Belarus and Russia to, to, for the invasion in Ukraine last year. And what changed was, was that all of the vessels that were loading and unloading cargo in the Black Sea, their Incoterms began to change. Almost overnight at the end of October, early November 2021, where the, the risk and thus, you know, the ability to make more margin because you're taking the risk on shifted it flipped completely from one side of the parties to the other. So whereas before the russian sellers let's say of crude oil or of grain they were exporting to places like china or whatever and they were doing it on a sift basis because they controlled the ships they were making money on the transportation by nominating their own transportation provider and they could add some margin in for taking on the risk of trans you know transporting something half a world away but all of a sudden at the end of october early november 2021 what we began to see was that suddenly everything was being sold x works everything was being sold where the second that cargo was on board the ship or the second that cargo was in the ocean container before it even got to the port now all of a sudden they didn't want anything to do with it like i made my money i'm not taking the risk that's on you and the only reason for that to change a long-standing practice is because they knew something was coming
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, this is your strategy. This is your plan. That was fascinating. But this is your, I mean, even at a basic level, even outside of war, this is your strategy, this is your playbook. This is the control of your freight right here. And this is happening at the buy level with your vendors when you dictate these terms. If you only send one thing a year, you might not want to have that much control of your freight because you have no network out there. And this makes sense. But if you have some volume on both the import and the export side, you can make strong decisions, strategic decisions, on how you're managing this freight and this freight volume. It's right there at the incoterm level because that's where... It starts. Now, let's move on to something else. A big problem. 12% of produce loads are rejected. Take a look at this one right here. This was on Reddit, and it was an entire load of pineapples that was – they spent – the OSC department took nine hours to look at this thing. They rejected it after one pallet.
0: I (laughs) – that's – you know, I'm speechless. Uh, But at the end of the day, um, and I I will not name the company on this show – but at the end of the day, there are a couple of food distribution companies or grocery companies that I could name right off the top of my head that this likely happened with. Uh, you know, the biggest reason for that is that these companies optimize their pro these recipients that, that are buying this car, they optimize their processes so much down to just the, the finest decimal point uh, operationally, as far as what unloads and loads the truck, what the man hours are to do it, what the equipment is that's doing it. Are they using a lift? Are they using a pallet jack? Whatever it may be, that the, a single, um, you know, variance or discrepancy, they're going to reject the load immediately, get the hell out of our dock and send the next truck in because they've got it fine-tuned to a point. And they don't really care that there's a driver that's now impacted and going to lose a day or two. They don't care that a freight broker probably is in the middle of this deal that he's going to lose money to. They don't care about the rework cost, whatever it may be. It showed up totally non-compliant. There's no margin of error. And that's these big companies kind of throwing their weight around because they can you know reasonably speaking i would look at that i would strip the one off i'd find a way to get the non compliant one off set it on the dock and we'll deal with it later but let's get the truck out and get the other 25 pallets or 20 pallets whatever the you know load size is get it going that's my way of doing things but then again you know i don't have uh i don't treat people the wrong way when it comes to the other you know, people that actually have to work for a living. And a lot of these big companies do that. I see a picture like that. I hear that story. I shake my head because it's one I've seen and heard a million times. It's one as a freight broker in the past I've lost money on before. Uh, it's super frustrating. And it's, it's really the friction in the gears of a lot of our systems the
3: butterfly effect of the broken palate. What about the butterfly effect of starting to drink in Montreal and getting in a car accident in Pennsylvania? Has Canada gone crazy? Look at this truck driver who drank nine beers before a crash, had alcoholism disability, and must be rehired according to an arbitrator. The facts in this case, it says right here the driver stopped twice to buy six packs of beer as she drove from Montreal to Pennsylvania. The woman admitted she drank at least nine beers during the trip. I am an alcoholic who's in recovery and haven't drank in Years. When an alcoholic says they only drank nine beers, they probably drank 18, uh, allegedly. That's just my opinion. She says she doesn't even remember if she drank the final three when she was on the road, so I guess she's blacked out here. And after the crash, which damaged the truck but caused no injuries, she was arrested with a BAC of 0.8, more than twice the limit. And they said, sorry, you can't protect your company from nuclear verdicts. You can't protect people driving on the roads in Pennsylvania or America or even North America for that matter. You got to rehire this person and put a breathalyzer in the truck.
0: I conceptualize things this way: the rules of engagement for a truck driver must be, by definition, very different and at a much higher standard, even than someone who's operating, um, you know, a ten, you know, a ten thousand pound limit, you know, box truck without a CDL. And and the reason we have these is we're talking about an eighty thousand pound missile, that that you know, if it's a fully loaded truck, of course. But I mean, we're talking about something that, at a minimum you know, is going to be weighing 50 to 60,000 pounds when it's fully laden. And to be operating that in in such a careless manner is a, in my view, not only do you not get your license back, you lose your personal driver's license and you spend a significant amount of time in jail because you're playing with a level uh, of fire, so to speak, that that the, the unintended consequences that can spiral out from a single incident and giving people essentially permission, which Canada has now done to you know, this this is you know probably going to become the, you know I you know I, I feel like I'm this gender today, and so I have these different privileges and rights, you know uh, of the alcohol, you know of people who are recovering alcoholics. Now there's no consequences, and there's no consequences for situations where the 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 standard could not be higher. And the reason that truck drivers have such an amazing safety record is that 99.9% of truck drivers are true professionals that really really want to do their job well. And I'm probably overestimating, but, you know, at the end of the day, a massive percentage of truck drivers, they understand the consequences. They take care of their rigs. They take care of their equipment. They take care of the people that take care of them because they know that a single failure to pay attention, a single lapse in judgment, a single whatever it may be, definitely has the consequence of destroying property and probably costing lives, too. Uh, This is just one of an ongoing number of continuously insane uh, decisions that we've seen come out of Canada. But just like with California, Canada tends to be a, uh, you know, a leader, uh, if you will, where we can say that, you know what, yeah, in, in 6, 12, 18, 24 months, we're probably going to see a similar level of stupid uh, begin to appear elsewhere in the United States.
3: You know, Ross, I've been in rehab twice, and each time I've been there, you've got the court-appointed people, you've got the job-appointed people, and you got the people who are there of their own volition, and the ones that are court-appointed, they've been through there nine, ten times, a lot of them, that you have to want it. I've been through recovery. You have to want it. You have to want to exceed. It's not something you can a- enable, and I hope this lady gets the help she needs. We are out of time, so I just Absolutely. need a 20 20- second lightning answer should we be looking if us in logistics should we be looking at LK99
0: I think in about 200 years, when A, the concept has been proven. Uh, B, we know exactly what we're dealing with, because I remember 20 years ago, graphene was the material of the future. And by and large, it's still not a scalable process or technology. So uh, big claims require big evidence and big proof. And right now, there's no uh, clear, compelling big evidence or big proof that this is going to change the world at any point in our lifetimes. Ross, how do people find and follow you? easiest way is to find me on uh, Twitter at MapHumanIntent, that's where you can uh, find me, follow, abuse, unfollow when I say something that makes you mad, that's, uh, that's life in the game, right? Alright, man, well hey, a little cowbell for you, thank you so much for coming on the show, appreciate your time. Thanks, man, appreciate you
3: Junior. Take it easy.
5: Now for something completely different, meanwhile. A Japanese man named as has undergone a unique transformation to become a human dog. The procedure performed by Japanese company Zapat involved creating a hyper-realistic dog outfit. Modeled after a coli, which cost him 2 million yen, means around 11.65 lakh rupees. The company specializes in making costumes for TV commercials and films, including figurines, bodysuits, and 3D models. Toko shared his journey on his YouTube channel named I Want To Be An Animal, which boasts over 31,000 subscribers, has surpassed 1 million views. In the introduction of his YouTube channel, Toko conveyed his desire to be an animal through a series of writing notes as he prefers not to speak in the video. Toko revealed that his fascination with becoming an animal dates back to his childhood and his dream of transformation into a koi has now come true. However, he keeps his hobby private from friends and colleagues fearing they might find it strange. His decision to become a human dog is a personal choice and he finds happiness in living out his dream of being an animal.
3: If okay, but, like,
5: video, okay but is he not just like a furry with a really expensive costume?
3: The, isn't it hot in there? This guy just sits around <laughs> in, a board, in a collie costume? All right, Lassie. Hey, man, it's each their own. It's 2023. Anyways, Walter Mitchell, CEO at Ty. I don't know, man. <laughs> this, is, this has been a wild How show. How am I supposed to
2: follow that up?
1: I don't I mean, know. that's amazing. Right? You, ever,
2: you ever need a desire to transform into a dog? None at all. None at all. But like you said, I respect everybody for what they want to do. Just that one's pretty far out there, right? It's on the edge. I got to say, I mean, if you're going to go
3: for something, like go go big. And like, I, I guess I respect yeah. you got to go. He's going big. He really wants it and he needs it. Now, Walter, I got to ask you something before we get into the main topic here. Yellow, obviously, everyone's still dealing with it. I've been hearing from a lot of people. There's been disruptions this week. I heard from other TMS providers that last week, last week, we were, to, we, you know, we, you should not put anything, take yellow out of the system. And there was a couple TMS right. providers I talked to and are like, I can't, the client, like it's not my decision whether to or not to do it. They want it back in there. Yep. Now, a lot of people are talking about embargoed freight at places like XBO. A lot of places don't want to get flooded this week with shippers who do not know how to plan properly.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a big, it's a big topic for us right now, right? And it's it's something we should have seen coming up and we should have reacted to. And, you know, not everybody has to make that reaction, right? They can decide that they want to make make whatever choice they're going to make and keep their freight moving. But I can tell you from our TMS, you know, we have the same position, right? We work with freight brokers um, primarily, and we won't just blatantly go turn off yellow, but we did make a point to make sure like, hey, everybody, you, you know, you tell us what you want to be doing so that your freight doesn't get stuck somewhere. And uh, what we saw was our freight brokerages that use us were shutting off yellow weeks ago. You know, last week wasn't even the time. It was weeks and weeks ago that they were talking about it and making that happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, everyone in the know knew there were a lot of problems in June. They knew that negotiations could be a lot of trouble. And the smart executives I talked to said, look, there's contingency plans already in motion. And I was like, do you still have in June? Do you still have freight in there? And they're like, we do. We're moving it, though. We're making those other relationships right now. So this isn't like something that just fell apart in the past two weeks. Anybody who's been following freight knows that there was trouble and trouble was coming. And there's a good chance you'd be in the situation this week that you're in. And like the ones that have freight stuck with them, that's the hardest because carriers don't want to go in and pick up freight that another carrier already had that may be damaged they may not get paid for there's nothing desirable about going picking up that freight right
2: now no that's pretty much the worst position you can be in right so you got to think about it a little bit earlier right and uh and at this point too like we should understand pretty well that diversification is a super important part of our supply chain you know we can't put all our eggs in one basket so being able to shift from working with yellow to somebody else if we should be thinking about that earlier and have other carriers lined up We should have other means. We should be prepared for that so we can transition pretty smoothly. We may not like it. It may not be the most advantageous alternative, but that's what we wanna be doing, right? Diversification a little bit, have some contingencies in place so that we don't get stuffed.
3: Yeah. You know, Walter, you have started to get, uh, and a lot of people, there's a growing movement of people, are starting to get a little sick of the, the the freight tech side of the business. That is kind of make broker a dirty word. They're trying to obfuscate what yeah. they do. You go to a lot of these websites, you have no idea what someone does. Some of them just make crazy claims. Like there's one company that says they're the first ever to move partials. It's like, come on, dude. Partials, have you ever heard of Jevic? Like that's happened up in Chicago <laughs> for a long time, company. Long but, time. It got the investor money, it's drying up, and people are starting to come to the realization that broker's not a dirty word, and we got to deal with it on its terms. What do you got to say on this?
2: Yeah, you know what? It's a topic that I care a lot about, right? I mean, I've been working in TMS with freight brokerages for a little over 20 years now. And, you know, we go through terms, we're 3PLs, they're intermediaries, they're freight broker. But I think we should embrace the word broker. and, And the problem is, like, when we look at it we all have different perspectives on the world and different perspectives of what's important to us. So like, for example, a shipper, like I'm worried about what's on my dock. How's my dock lined up? What do I have coming in today? What's moving around on my dock? Do I really want to be worried about what do I do about yellow? I mean, that's what a freight broker's job is. And, and they provide a lot of value there where the broker can spend the time and and pay attention to, okay, yellow, maybe you'll be okay up until this date or or you know maybe we don't want to work with this carrier because the insurance is a real problem here and let the brokerage be an expert where they can be an expert and let let your shipper be an expert where they're experts and the same thing with a carrier right carriers have their specific needs and their areas where they focus and efficiency of their assets is so important to them and but a broker has a different perspective you know they're more of a sales organization they're more of an organization that's looking at the supply chain from a little different perspective and that different perspective adds consultative uh, advantages. It adds diversification capabilities. It adds flexibility. It adds the ability to, to limit risk. And those are such important things. But for some reason in our industry, we decide like brokers just become a bad word and we don't want to use it. But I think we should. You know, it works really well in a lot of other industries. And the having that intermediary or having somebody who has specific expertise in a in an area makes all the difference in the world. And so that's you know, that's where I think we can really turn it around a little bit and let the brokers do what brokers are good at.
3: How do brokers own who they are? Is your recommendation sort of drop this overly digital veneer, especially if you're just a your a regular brokerage with an app or a or a fancy user interface?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think it's best for brokers to come out and say what value they bring and to, sh- to demonstrate that they can help with things like, like you just, were talking about Incoterms, right? Like now if we talk about a normal shipper, maybe they're running a couple dozen, you know, the smaller guys, like obviously the really big companies have a different world and a different look on it because they have all that expertise in house. But what if I'm a smaller guy who's doing maybe one or two international moves a month or a week? even you know like do i really understand my eco terms that well do i have the time for that and the answer is i probably don't whereas a broker does and the broker can advise me on that and that's where i think the brokers should really embrace what they're doing and say like hey look i'm good at this i can consult you in this area i can provide expertise here i can help mitigate your risk i can make sure your insurance is covered and uh, that's where i feel like the brokers can add them can really be who they are do you think as this this has become
3: table stakes i mean Freight Tech for Brokerages was kind of a fancier word, like pre-2020. But in that time, every by the stage Robinsons, all the big companies of the world have stood up their own interfaces and their own apps and all of uh, and all of these different things. So it's not like it's that great yeah. of a differentiator. In fact, I hate the word disruptor. Like people borrow that from Silicon Valley and they brought it to Freight World. Have you talked to supply chain people? The last damn thing we want is a supply
2: chain <laughs> disrupted. disruptor. That's true. Uh, that is a, a funny term in our space, right? And I got to... Uh, kind of ride the line on the disruptor term because I got the technology side, right? So disruptor is like a big term on that side, like you said. But for supply chain, it's the exact opposite of what we want. Uh, Because what we need on supply chain is stability, right? What we need on supply chain is to make sure that we have predictability on where my product's gonna be and when it's gonna be there. Uh, So I'm right with you on that. I don't think we need to just lean on technology alone. I think the brokerage needs to lean on expertise and technology to support that expertise right because i don't think you can do anything today without high quality technology in these different components so you know you got to land on both
3: you know i really appreciate you being brave enough to lend your voice to this topic you know some people are sensitive to it but you know here you are and you're like look look, we're all in for you look you can't trick the players right you can't trick the players you 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 might be able to put it out in a press release and people don't know any better don't see it but like Look, dude, we're all out yeah. here on the field. We know what's we know what's going on. Let me ask you though before I let you go, what's good in TMS? Any good uh, announcements over at Ty?
2: Yeah, you know we're doing a lot of cool stuff over at Ty. Uh, one of the areas that we're focused a lot on because it's it's pretty hot right now. We've been doing it for a couple years. Is the is integrating generative AI into our platform so that you can keep pushing the technology forward, right? And and bring these new technologies together uh, so that the the freight brokers can compete at a really high level, um, whereas they're not being, they're not having to necessarily worry about the technology. Um, and and that's kind of where, you know, tying that in back into this brokerage conversation. Uh, at tie we kind of feel like we are a brokerage as well, uh, or an intermediary with technology. You know, we are supporting a freight brokerage to give them the technology they need to, to be able to compete with anyone in the market and to have cutting edge technology without having to have all that technology infrastructure built into their organization without having to have all that expertise. We'll provide the expertise for them so that they can do their job and focus on what they do really well. And that's what Ty's all about. And so, you know, like I so said, we kind of consider ourselves a broker as well as and a consultant and an expert in that area to support those freight brokers.
3: Uh, Good stuff, Mitch. People who want to learn more about Ty or they want to connect with you, they want to carry this conversation on, they want to reframe themselves and own their brokerage. How do I send them to you?
2: Yeah, so uh, you can find us at ty-software.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn. We're posting all the time and uh, other social media as well. So we'd love to connect with anyone, especially people who want to use broker in their name. We love you guys.
3: Well, yeah, have a great Wednesday and enjoy the rest of the week. Appreciate it.
2: Awesome. Hey, thank you. Appreciate you having me.
3: Take care. All right. China, India, Korea, Vietnam, Belgium, the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Switzerland... The United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico, more than 2,700 AIT worldwide logistics supply chain experts are stationed in these countries and, of course, across the United States. And in 2023, they're adding even more global locations as the organization strives to make it easier than ever for companies to ship between Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business, you can learn more at AITWorldwide.com. Elsewhere.
1: If you're the parent of a young child and you're not getting enough sleep at night, I'm betting it's because your children will not stay in their room. That was my problem, too, until recently when I found this ankle monitor in Walmart. This brand is a godsend, taking a page out of the Criminal Rehabilitation playbook and applying it to children. The device easily straps onto your toddler's leg and then puts in the work 24-7 to make sure they're staying where they belong. Check out these awesome features. Using their app, you can specify a timeout zone, which is the room where your child is supposed to be staying. It's sort of like house arrest. You can also set up no-go zones for extra safety. I'm going to do the whole house. Now, whenever my little juvenile delinquent sneaks out of his room, I get a notification on my phone. From this point, there's several different approaches on how to handle the situation, such as screaming at them from your bed or bargaining with them to get back in their room. But my favorite is to employ the built-in electrical impulse training tool. It's actually kind of therapeutic.
3: <laughs> I don't think that's real, but that guy spent a lot of good effort on that. Like <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, he, that's, that's creative. He even staged the app and everything. And his like, device design for the ankle bracelet, I think that looked pretty good. I think it depends on like, how bad your kid is. Like, you just want to- just shock him, shock him. By the way, hey, before we even get into things, a little congratulations, a little a little cowbell for you. You have a uh, you, you have a career move to talk about for a second.
4: I do. Uh, yes. Yeah, so today's my last day at Freightways. Appreciate the the, the congrats. Uh, moving on to a company. You're actually your old stuff. By great. alma mater. It's Freight Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited. Um, yeah. I'll be I'll be moving on with them. Based in Boston, still staying here in Chattanooga. Oh. So I'm I'm very excited to. Be able to stay here and, and stay tuned in with freight waves
3: and in the community. But yeah, really excited about the move. Well, hi Stephen Jill. Uh you, you got a good man on here. He's gonna help break down the market for you and all the data you guys do. I think he's an excellent fit on your team. We're gonna miss we're gonna miss you dearly though.
4: Yeah, I'm gonna miss you guys too, man.
3: So have you seen any, um, take a look at this from, from Gabe over at, at Rocket right here, Gabe uh, Pankinen. He put, missed pickups in LTL were atrocious yesterday. T-Force, Roadrunner, SD, Saya, RNL Carriers, ABF, they all missed a ton of pickups. And I don't see the trend changing in the next few weeks. We've also heard, um, who, who is it? Uh, was it? Was it ArcBest who said they picked up 10% volume last week? Any more details on disruptions? I, I'm hearing anecdotally from a lot of uh, shippers and brokers in the middle of this that there's there's it's hell this week.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's bad. I think it's going to continue until this thing gets sorted out. Um, these guys, bigger, they have a huge advantage to, to to continue to grab some of this volume, and I think it's great for them, right? I mean, yes, just talked about the word disruption, but disruption can sometimes be a good thing when yeah. companies do go under because that market share's got to go somewhere. And I think there's three or four companies that are really kind of lined
3: up to to really gain a lot from this. Yet when some people saw that that shipments were being embargoed on Monday, they're like, well, that's lame. Like, you're entitled to take our freight. And and no, they're not. No, they're not. You should have established these relationships with these companies in advance. You knew this was happening. Your boss should probably fire you for not knowing this. You shouldn't run around yelling at other people being angry because you're ignorant to what is happening in the market. Instead, take responsibility for the fact that you don't pay attention to what the truck and you're not a subscriber. Yeah, you got to watch the show. I mean, Or or anything on Freight Waves now. Any one of our shows would have guided you. I mean, I think a lot of freight news, well, actually the mainstream didn't even pick this one up Mm. later. But, like, you got to read the trades if you're in this business.
4: Yeah, you have to. I mean, that's the only way to stay up with the trends. I mean, yeah, if you're a broker, you're hearing it from the day-to-day, and you should know what's going on. But you're just kind of, you're in your three-foot world, right? You're not paying attention to what's happening in the industry. And, honestly, Freight Waves and what the truck, you're you're not going to be able to find it faster and better from any other source.
3: And I'm not like bootlicking for XPO, but if you're XPO, you got to look at it from their perspective. They got to protect their customers and the freight and network. And anything that is stuck with yellow, like I just talked to Walter about, that's dirty freight. That's freight that's been touched by somebody else. There's liability. You're going into a place that's banker. People may be angry. You could be putting your drivers in danger or delayed. There's other freight out there. Yeah,
4: there's other freight out there. And but still, you you should have been prepared. Like there's, it's crazy. That I'm still hearing that people are putting out there in the market like, oh, we didn't know, or oh, we're just now. Like we've been talking about this for a month. Like you said earlier, like
3: basically since the event. I know. Don't, don't admit that. Like if, like, this become a, like a better liar or something to to your boss. Yeah. Like, don't. I had no idea. I had no. That's your fault. That's on you. Now, is there other freight out there? That's where we're going to talk about the market. But let's start with a big problem that you put out on Twitter yesterday. Show that chart right here. This is on the three-year-old truck prices, and they have collapsed half. Half
4: the price, a $140,000 truck that was in the bar. You got to remember, you couldn't find a truck a year and a half ago. No. You could not find one. No, it, the, 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 Nobody was manufacturing. You couldn't find them on the lot. So, I mean, prices just climbed and climbed and climbed. A $140,000 truck 15 months ago is now worth seventy grand, half its value.
3: That's like, it's a complete inversion. I mean, it's literally a complete inversion of your loan. You are you couldn't be more upside down. Like, you can, it can go worse, but you, it's about as bad as it can get. Yeah, it's terrible.
4: And people were commenting back on my tweet yesterday saying like, oh, like th- there wasn't 0% interest options out there. Like, that's not common. It, yes, it is. And it still is. I actually just Googled like 0% financing options. Ryder, Pinsky, all those guys, are, as long as you have a 640 credit score and at least driving a truck for two years, they will give you a 64 month 0% interest rate. So yes, there were, there are, I, I don't know how many exact number, but there Dunner, there are a lot of drivers out there that could be upwards of $30,000 underwater on their truck loan.
3: It's tough, man. It's tough. And everyone's been nervous too. I mean, ever since the, the yellow collapse, obviously that, that like woke some people up, um, you said the good thing was disruption. Maybe this will help rates or anything. Now, not necessarily spot rates, but let's look at those. Are there any activity in spot rates? I, I do see, like, a projected crystal ball green line kind of going up a little bit in the future.
4: Yeah, a little bit. Um, Rates are on the move. Uh, technically, for, FreightWave's 28-day forecast puts us at about uh, 2, 230, 231 by the end of August. That would be an 8.5% jump since those bottoms in May. So, I mean, yeah, there is some upward momentum. Um, Looking at freight volumes, we'll take a look at those. They're, they're on the uptrend in and I just it's curious about where those are coming from. Now, we've been talking about it for months, we still have this humongous student loan issue lingering over our heads, but if you look at import volumes, they're up almost 30 or 40 percent. So demand is coming from somewhere, even though we still have headwinds ahead of us. So it is going to be interesting in a few months here.
3: Now here's the really bad news. So those spot rates are going up a little. That's good. They're not going down. But here's the bad news. Look at your cost factor here that's coming out of fuel. This has been on the rise. And you put this out on the 28th, and it had jumped like, what, 14 cents a gallon for July. All you have to do is drive by any of these gas stations, and you, you guys know what you're talking about. You've seen it. But today, Luke Vlaska just put out, it's jumped another 22 to 0.2 cents per gallon. It's now at four dot four dollars and, and, and uh, thirteen cents, basically on average in the uh, U.S. diesel price.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And this is actually going to keep climbing. So OPEC, they're continuing to cut production by a million about each month. You've got China reopening a little bit from COVID restrictions. So therefore, diesel and oil demand is going to continue to climb. Um, I was I was expecting this to continue to fall back towards like 350, 375 at the end of the summer. But we have completely taken a U-turn. And you're right, that is hitting drivers' pockets directly.
3: Bad time for it too, because we're starting into heating oil season as well. That's going to put cost pressure on here Um, it's early August, hopefully we can see some resolution here. I don't know if they can can figure it out and bring down the pressure before then, but this could be a cruel winter. This could be a cruel fall and winter. These cost factors are what down these smaller carriers, especially when you can't get the rate escalation. So do we have any hope in volumes, though? At least maybe there might be some loads to move. Let's take a look at this chart from Luke. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, volumes are on the rise. I, you know,
4: do I think the yellow situation has a little bit to do with this? Yes, over just the recent, you know, five to seven days. Um, but really, we've been on an upward trend when it comes to overall demand volume. Honestly, for the last three months, uh, we're up 15% since post uh, post holiday uh, earlier in the year, and then up about 7% since July 4th. So it's continuing to climb, and I don't necessarily know if this is just directly impact from there being overall more shipments, or if this is the fact that shippers are just having to tender their loads more than once to get that covered. I think it's a combination of both.
3: Yeah, it it, it definitely is. Now I got to ask you. Let's going back to yellow one more time here. What impact, if any, do you think this is going to have on the LTL market? And are we seeing anything yet, aside from like that ArcBest we met where they picked up 10% of volume last week?
4: Yeah, I think you're going to continue to see disruptions. I know we just said that word, but yes, because you got to think about what happens. There's a yellow, I mean, 100-year-old company, huge company, right? Like, ODFL and FedEx and UPS, they're only going to be able to handle so much. So what's going to happen is a lot of these smaller customers aren't going to be able to get LTL freight picked up. So what they're going to do, they're going to end up paying for an entire truckload just to move one or two pallets, right? Because it's not going to be able to get picked up by ATL. So that does lead that you're going to see more overall truckload freight. So yes, I do think that you get a little bit more momentum in the truckload space, even
3: though yellow is mainly LTL. What happens to all the equipment and the used market there? Because you're talking about what? Four, I think they have four, about fourteen thousand units. Yeah, fourteen thousand units. Now, I will say that
4: uh, day cabs do hold a little bit more value um, than than over the road long term trucks do have. So, but putting fourteen thousand ca- day cabs on the market like that, you're going to continue to see those used truck prices come down. Um, it's simple supply and demand.
3: Yeah. Any other? What, what do you think about the, the the land? Are they worth more alive? I mean, more dead? Than alive? They
4: are. I think that's why the stock climbed three hundred and fifty percent. I did not buy any. I think that's a humongous red flag, especially because there's two differences in bankruptcies: Chapter Seven and Chapter Eleven. Okay. Chapter Eleven: If you do hold stock, you technically are a you're a liability owner, right? So technically, you can get that money back if all assets are sold. But yellow is filing chapter 7 bankruptcy which does not include stock ownership and stockers equity as being as collateral. Um, so I don't really know what the movement in the stock is but yeah I agree they are technically worth more dead than alive and I think it was I think Craig tweeted the other day that some of the assets on their books looking at real estate could be extremely undervalued
3: no they could and even in a market that's a little bit tough. I've heard that there's interest in many of these terminals already, so you're going to see these things to uh, to start to move. Yeah, absolutely, you will. Tough space though, tough tough space for them Um, over there. Any? Are are you at least are you optimistic at all? Like you're over at Freight Plus. You're at Freight Plus. uh, You're starting next week. You're putting things down. You think things are going to go well in the uh, the RFPs? You feel confident? I do. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of turned around for the second half of the year. I, I had been
4: projecting that it might have been Q1 or Q2 of next year before we see a turnaround, yeah. but with yellow happening and then that the possible that the UPS strike that was going to happen last week, I know we're kind of still talking through that, but the last two or three... Only one market, no vote,
3: though, on that UPS. I remember Only one. Because when the yellow thing, like, I have put out, I, I don't think they're going to strike. I think they resolved this one. I actually think that's, that's Sean O'Brien at Teamsters' focus, and I think to yellow's detriment in some ways, it was their their focus but um the the vote ended up being like 196 to 1
4: yeah. Um but just the point is that the last two market cycles there's been some type of headwind or some type of event that has completely churned the freight industry around. Yeah. I, I don't know if the yellow situation is that if it yeah, is or hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, hey, T Swift, can you give every truck driver $100,000? I'm sure she has enough money to do that.
3: That would be that would be fantastic. All right, well, let's have a little fun before you leave. Kay. We got we got some videos to look at. Look at the look at the st- the stack work. It's such a visual incredible world. Look at all these boxes up here. Now when this, when I put this out, people are like, "Wow, how many boxes fall out?" Somebody put a million. It's not a million. Like, uh, when there's about twenty five hundred, there's a ton in a year. It's usually because there's a big shipwreck, but we do lose like six to seven hundred a year in this type of incident. We're just full stacks fall out. And I asked uh, my network what happened here. Sal McCargliano, He said, "Notice that the stack that went over did not have the two tiers above the lashing platform secured. The top four containers are only connected by the corner twist locks. There should have been some cross lashing for the outer stacks, but that takes." Money, uh, Nebraska Noah says, I, I knew we should have used 2 chains." The rapper? Dad Nunn says, my worst fear, yet I still don't buy marine cargo insurance. Marine cargo insurance, don't leave poor without it. Dad, thank you for teaching me that. And Ryan says, Harbor Freight $4 rationing strap would have done the job would have done the job now i'm interested is there actually a career where you can go out there and like rescue those boxes you know i was wondering about that too and because i know there's salvage and there's there's specific salvage industries that will come out and get that stuff i don't know if they'll get that particular freight because i know this but this boat's not going to fish it out there's no crane there's no way there's going to keep going but it can be a hazard that could that could rip your hull. is that like a titanic situation where you have to
4: like jump in a submarine
3: you, you and you're you, you fit could you think you could fit leo and kate on that <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. Not if you're filming it in the movie. Although people always yell about that door and a bunch of YouTubers have like tried to replicate that, it's really hard to stay on a door yeah. in a pool. People don't know well, what they're I... talking about. They got to go on on floats more often. How about this strap work over here? This guy's going to rate it for us, but we can talk after. Turn the volume up. Got volume?
5: Here. You can see they have on some steel and look at all I mean, they look the crooked as hell and I'm on. not an expert yeah. like Robert Powell. Even correctly spaced. And you're supposed to have chains on this you're supposed to have a chain at the very front to keep it from sliding forward and every four to six feet one strap I mean look every two feet the thrust two feet you're supposed to have two the rear what do they do and now they have flags they're gonna put flags at the back it's not even sticking out more than four feet it's like a foot? What are
3: they doing? He's hating their work.
5: Wow.
3: That's wow. like an hey, on-the-road F that he gave them right there. Now, some people said, like, okay, it's great that he's sitting there and filming it, but why didn't he get out and, like, maybe give them a little advice?
4: Yeah, like, give a little bit of help, right? I mean, hey, at least a driver did his job. I mean, there's 12 straps on that thing. Yeah. He, they asked for 12 straps. He he got 12 straps. <laughs>
3: Didn't do it well though. Dad of uh, two roadside said most straps mow better. Rote says plus the gap to the bulkhead should be blocked. Lazy Trucker says, What about a $1,750 fine? Russell Clark says, No. Air Dog HD, What could possibly go wrong under hard braking, etc.? Jimbo gave it a D minus. I'm not even sure how it got that. I guess because it did have the right number of straps, right? Valerie, sad. Young drivers not taught properly. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I agree. Like maybe a little brotherhood on the road or brother sisterhood. They, they could have had it. And a boss says, yeah, DOT be saying hello to these ladies fine work. <laughs> they could get ridden up. Could. What's the most dangerous road you've ever driven on? Oh, dangerous
4: road the louisiana has terrible roads i i don't i don't i'm sure drivers know a little bit more than I do yeah. but i've heard louisiana I've, I've actually been on it driving from mobile to um uh, to new orleans it, it's terrible there's like like very old bridges that have potholes in them and stuff like that it, it's
3: it's pretty scary it, it yeah mine my, my heart is like the only time i've really like I was pretty sure I was going to die while driving, but kept driving anyway because it was stupid. Because I was like nineteen. It was in Vermont. It was in like the Bangton, Vermont area, and it's all these mountains over there. And it was just like downpouring like crazy. There was no one, real, nowhere really to pull over, and I was pretty sure I'd end up at the uh, the bottom of the ditch. But let's see what some drivers think.
1: It yeah. triggered, like, whoa! It absolutely kind of humbled me and shocked me, scared me a little bit, disturbed me, mm. didn't make me angry.
3: Now we asked which drivers, aside from Donner Pass, have uh, completely humbled them. And Dog, two Dog, and Lady Trucker said some backwards two-lane road with 12% grade in Arkansas, where there was freezing rain. Yeah, rain is like I think rain's even worse than snow sometimes because it cuts out your visibility and people like they drive a lot faster than yeah. they tend to drive in snow.
4: Yeah, they, they people just completely like. Besides truckers, I will say I've seen most drivers do kind of slow down when it is raining. Obviously, especially if they're loaded. But yeah, yeah people just like don't even care that it's not massive. Not in, like maybe up
3: here because our roads get slicker. But like up up in the Northeast, the people are just crazy. Hmm. Snapshot freaks is Route 17 in Flagstaff to Phoenix scary AF. First time I drove Donors at night, I cried the entire way. After I learned to drive mountain successfully, I actually like running that route. Not guilty. I caught Larry set a two lane road in Colorado that I took years ago as a shortcut, but ended up taking three times as long. Curves you could not meet anything on, and so up and down, seldom left the low side of the trans. Little trucker Wally, I am a member of the VW 61, the oh, oh, West Virginia 61 Club. I started in 2018. I was the sole member until fall of 2019 when. Another driver ran into it despite my warnings not to to avoid tolls. I do not advise joining. And Carpe Diem says, I've heard stories that still haunt my dreams. Squinoma, I'm sure I misspelled it, is another. Be safe over there, Rockies, everyone. Carpe Diem, don't mind. I probably uh, misspelled it myself. What do you think? It, it,
4: yeah, that's that's a lot. Um, all those roads don't don't necessarily know, but I totally believe them. There's some horror stories.
3: Now, the first time I ever went to GATS, and RIP GATS, or hasn't been one since 2019, uh, it was the first time I'd also been to Texas. And these brokers picked me up there, and the first thing they did was offer to take me up in a helicopter to shoot boars with a machine gun, and I'm like a guy from Boston, like, we don't even let people have guns there, <laughs> like, fly play. and I was like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Um, but let's take a look at this boar video here, and you might see why you need to police this thing. This boar snuck into a subway station, and as you can see, it's going to start taking some oh, people no. out. It's going to start going go. this unsuspecting. He has no idea. There's a bog oh, Boom. Him Got him. <laughs> Gore. Who's next? spear. Look, these people are like, hey, what Boom. happened? That guy's over Bye. there. <laughs> yes, has no clue. They're all just running away. Look, she didn't even see him. A sneak attack. Boom. Ooh, Took him right down. What would you do if a boar was coming at you? you I think, think you could take a boar? No. No, no. no chance. Do you think you could? Uh, maybe if I had
4: my dog Randy with me. I, I don't know. Boars are pretty I have I've heard a lot about these things. They they're like way over like they're all they're way over infested, especially on farms. That's right here in Texas. Yeah, like, they yeah, they they tear up a lot of farmland too. Uh and then like cowboys like they're always chasing them down
3: and I I don't know. I'm scared of boars. Top three. Uh, yeah, I might have to, like, uh, get a bandolier of, of bullets and get up in a <laughs> start shooting from a helicopter, <laughs> playing the uh, <laughs> playing Flight of the Valkyries. Anyways, hey, uh, other big news today. I got my dog Randy, my puppy, my Black Lab puppy, right up in Chattanooga a year ago. Nice. Here he was a little baby. Uh, story behind this, I didn't necessarily tell my wife I was going to get the dog before I went, but then, like, I was like, I'm just going to look at them. Yeah. But then they all ran over to me, and it was like... What are you gonna do? How can you not? How could you not? How like could they're you not? so cute. And then like, here he is right here. And like, this is when I was, when I was taken. I was, I was just completely sold. Oh, Aww. What a beautiful dog. I'm surprised you only came home with one. Well, they did offer two and here he is now. Just taking, oh, my, yeah. uh, taking my kid out. All right, drop that. Hey, stand up for a second. Let me give you a hug before you leave. Oh man. Let me give you a hug brother. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for tuning in to What the Truck. You can find the show wherever you get your podcast on demand. Find us uh, at our new home on our Franklys YouTube channel. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner, FW What the Truck. And you can find him on Taylor DeHart and follow his journey. Good luck to you. Good luck to
0: Taylor. Good luck to Yellow. Take care. Don't be a stranger.